Welcome to Heroic Hearts Podcast, where we will explore the heroic journeys of St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese of Lisieux to heal, inspire, and re-enchant our own hearts. Hey everyone, this is Amy Chase, and I'm back with Walter Emerson for another episode of Heroic Hearts. This show is all about mentors, who they are, why they are important for the Heroic Hearts journey, and how Joan's own heavenly mentors prepared her for her high calling to rescue France and crown the king. We hope our conversation helps you reflect on and benefit from the mentors in your own life. All right, greetings everyone. Walter, hello, it's good to see you again. Hello, Amy. It's great to be here again. How are you doing? Oh, doing really well. It's always nice to gather for our weekly conversation, especially after a busy week where I've just been on the go and have barely had time to stop and and reflect and just, you know, gather my thoughts and my senses and enjoy life. So it's kind of a great discipline, though, because I was the same way. Busy week. Yesterday was really busy. But knowing that we sort of have this set pattern, it's like a discipline. So I got to make sure I'm Make sure I'm up on my jump. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Um, any any enchanting moment you want to report on this week? Well, I do. And similar, I, maybe it's because it's Lent, but similar to last time, but I had a, uh, it wasn't a, a butterfly or, or a sunset or anything this time, but it was, I think, an important message uh, about enchanting moments. And it really came in a reflection that I had regarding St. Joan of Arc, because I'm very devoted to St. Joan. And as you probably know, and so I was having some reflections about that. And uh, it, it, what, there was a moment when I, I kind of realized that, and we'll talk more about it today, but Joan, how in her uh, uh, interface with, or the appearance of her mentors, which we'll talk about St. Uh, Michael, the Archangel, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine, um, how that really elevated her vision. She was already a very good Catholic girl. We know that from the testimonies, but it really, how it really elevated her. And I think that, you know, she sort of, in a way, had presented to her or was formed in her mind kind of an archetype of what France meant from a from a holy perspective, from the perspective of, of heaven and not just sort of a secular way in, in the world. And so I was really, I was enchanted by that moment. It was an interesting uh, meditation. I've had those kind of meditations before, but I really like it when I'm thinking about how Joan's vision was elevated to a higher plane because that was one of the main effects that she had on me was elevating my vision to something much higher than what I had before that wasn't really working well for me and helped me form greater and better uh, archetypes of where it is I want it to go in life. And that, that has a lot to do with how she has mentored me. But the, the point I kind of wanted to make too was that we talk about these enchanting moments and we do that because we'd like for the audience to try to be more aware of the enchantment. So we're very much aware that there's awful things going on out there. There's oh, 
there's war and lies and deceit. And you know what? I don't know, check in five years from now. There's going to be another war and more deceit and more lies. And it just never ends. So there's always going to be something. The names change, but the situations are, are very similar. The incredible thing about Joan, um, you know, looking at her and a lot of other saints, is how inextricably, if that's the right word, tied her life is to the real world. So she lived a life of great vision, of, I would say, enchantment, but not enchantment the way you might think of, you know, chasing butterflies and things like that, but enchantment in terms of a, a grand vision yeah. that ennobled her soul. But you cannot separate her from war, plague, deceit, lying, death. It, that is so tied to her story that it really makes that point that when we talk about enchanting moments, we're not talking about never, never land. We're really talking about elevating our thinking in a way that would reorient our lives in a very real way to something more ennobling for our souls. Because so would, this you is say, would you say the enchantment is, it's grounded in reality, but it helps us rise above the circumstances? Yeah, transcendent, really. Okay, transcendent, yeah. Trans, you know, transcendent. It's, and when you're uh, dealing, <laughs> excuse me, with transcendent reality, your feet are always on the ground. That's really a you know, kind of a solid Carmelite. If you look at St. Therese, the spiritual sister, uh, that's kind of a pretty common theme in Carmelite spirituality is having your, you might have your head in the clouds, but your feet are on the ground. Uh, otherwise you're not, you got to be grounded, so to speak. So it's always grounded in reality, but it's transcendent in terms of giving us something uh, to orient our lives toward, which is greater than ourselves, because isn't that really, it's when we're moving towards something that's greater than ourselves. It's, it's when a nation is moving towards something that's greater than the collective whole. That's what, you know, unites a nation and things. So there's so many applications of that transcendent uh, concept. So it has nothing to do with uh, suddenly uh, sprouting wings and, uh, elevating now off the ground it really has with being feet on the ground but having that higher vision and then when we when we do walk through the deceit the lies the war the the awfulness the bloodshed that we are we are expressing the source of hope and change that the world needs and we're keeping ourselves from from that so those were really two things that were enchanting for me, uh, thinking I kind of was looking at some things and reflecting on what, you know, the Lord had been trying to tell me and my affection for St. Joan and everything she's done for me. And I thought about that sort of transcendent view that she, she acquired through her mentors from heaven, as well as the fact that on the other hand, so, so here's somebody that's on the one hand, St. Michael comes to you. Wow. So I'm like elevating now. I'm kind of lifting off the ground, right? Except he came to tell her she had to go to war. 
Yes. Immediately back down to the ground. Yeah. So there's, there's, uh, am I elevated into the heavens or am I stuck in a bloody, awful war? And the answer was, well, both. And, but also what happened with her being in both, she saved France and she didn't, she did more than that. I think she, she, she brought so much more to the world of spirituality than just saving France. And that was recognized when the church made her a saint of the universal church so that her virtues and what she has to offer is, is applicable to the entire church. Well, so. I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought up the fact that our enchanting moments are not meant as an escape from reality. Cause we don't want our listeners to think we're proposing that we, we do recognize all the hardships that are going on globally, but then in individual lives and families. But I, I think that you see it in some of the writings of people, um, whether it's Alexander Solzhenitsyn and the Gulag or whether it's other people in war. Um, and I can't think of a specific example, but I'm just thinking, and generally speaking, you do find people who in the midst of the most awful situations do find transcendent truth. They find transcendent truth, beauty, and goodness. Now, how you do that in a gulag, I don't know, but, um, or in a, not, or in a Nazi prison. Yeah. Camp. I was thinking of Victor Frankl, man's yeah. search for meaning. Yeah, exactly. Now how you, <laughs> that's be, I think clearly beyond my strength, but you do find people who do that. And what that tells me is, is that the idea of transcendent truth, beauty, and goodness as a vision for our life is not a fantasy world. It's a very real part of mean of obtaining meaning. Well, and for, for me, enchantment has been the practice of, of being open to enchantment has meant to, has meant, um, has meant for me the um, learning to see the world with new eyes. And I think specifically it's helping me to see the Holy spirit alive and at mm -hmm. work in the world. And my enchanting moment was simply, uh, it was simply seeing the light that um, comes at the end of the day. There's, there's this moment about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes before, uh, what, what's called civil twilight, like, you know, after the sun has just dipped below the horizon, but there's still light. But the light here where I'm at, it it's, has this glorious quality where it seems to light up everything from within. Like the mm -hmm. trees seem like they are lit from the inside mm -hmm. and even the buildings um, reflect this glow. And and it's gorgeous. And it, and it happens almost every day. Um, you know, that's not a cloudy day. And it's such a wonderful passing moment you wish you could hold on to it but it but you can't but you have to go back into battle yeah um but there's always the next day to look forward to and that so it's that it's that moment of just recognizing that the holy spirit is alive and active in the world just constantly calling it forth constantly calling forth the the beauty of creation but isn't that where we get the strength to go forward in battle yes yes you know that that I think that's kind of what we're talking about. And what I was talking about with Joan is it's where we get the strength to go forward and to accomplish through the mud, um, you know, behind, uh, you know, deceitful voices behind closed doors, all the normal stuff we go through in life. But yeah, that's where we get, that's where we get the strength. So 
really, I think if the audience, if you sit back and look at St. Joan of Arc, uh, she brings so much practicality. And I think that's what we're talking about. Practic practicality, practical spiritual uh, benefit for us. Uh, so yeah, she's, she's amazingly down to earth for a saint who is bigger than life. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start with our prayer, Walter, because we forgot to do it last week. <laughs> I, know. I was going to say something, but I just couldn't. I... That's okay. That's okay. Um, it's a test for the, it's a test for the audience. You know, how many, how many noticed that we didn't do it. Cut it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll just remind everyone that we, we like to start with this prayer um, that we call the prayer of the heroic hearts. And uh, um, it's just to invoke our Lord um, into our lives and help us to live courageous lives like St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese of Lisieux. So in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O sacred heart of Jesus, form in us missionary hearts, hearts that burn to spread your faith, heroic hearts of the cross, wanting always and everywhere to bear witness to you. Make us ready to suffer, to show our love. And like our sisters, St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese, grant us the desire to conquer for you all the hearts of the universe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Amy. All right. Well, uh, let's take a look at our reflective questions last week. And um, hopefully our listeners have had a, a chance to reflect on them in their own lives and and. Um, be able to apply that meaning to our conversation this today. And the um, two questions you had were describe a time when you felt a call to something higher and were immediately con confronted by obstacles, challenges, and scorn. And then describe a time when you felt others were speaking poorly and unfairly about you. And how did you handle yourself in, um, in that situation? And my question was about um, confronting doubt, fear, or resistance as you are called to something higher, how did you learn or how have you dealt with overcoming these deterrences? And that first question about um, confronting those obstacles and challenges when, when you've been called to, to something, that reminded me of our project of getting this podcast <laughs> started, which we actually started about nine months ago. And here we are just now, now recording. And I, there were, you know, it was a, it was a good journey, but there were things that happened along the way, not the least of which were some pretty significant health challenges in your life and mine. <laughs> well, it's true. It's, it's true. We, we started, I was probably pretty naive about, you know, how this would go. Thanks to you and your expertise, I realized that we needed to have our act together a little bit better than probably what, what I had. So you brought all these wonderful talents to the table. So we took some time to start uh, putting, putting that together. I know you ran into then um, some health issues. Yeah. I got uh, COVID. COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got COVID. <laughs> it was not still here. <laughs> and then I had a, then we, we got rolling and we actually recorded our trailer and we're getting ready to launch last fall and i had a little health issue called open heart surgery that came up so we a little procedure yeah a little procedure so they had to kind of cut open my chest and do work on my heart and i came out and didn't realize how difficult the recovery was going to be which is going well by the way 
but that definitely knocked us out for uh, two or so months, mm-hmm. you know, right, right there. So we definitely had some obstacles. So I don't, I don't know about you, but I think the, I know that one of the ways that kept us, kept this going was we kept talking and communicating, yeah. you know, we kept reaching out. And I think, you know, you and I, no matter how much we felt diverted at times, we continued to talk and discuss and develop ideas. We had set up a discipline of, of meeting and discussing these ideas and communicating online. And I think that really helped, helped keep the vision alive. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think there was a, a moment when we <coughs> excuse me, felt that, that we, that we really were losing any momentum. I think we always felt we were hitting obstacles, but never losing momentum and that we had a mission to accomplish. And I think one of the ways you can tell that a thing is, is an obstacle, that the calling is true and that what you're facing is just an obstacle rather than you are following a false calling is that as you come through that obstacle on the other end, you're stronger and better for it. And the, and the project or the calling itself is, is more solidified. Well, I think that's great because, and that will go to the question I have at the end of the day, really not to do any spoilers there, but the point of how do we, what's the criteria for evaluating the authenticity of the vision that we have? And you listed something really great, which is it's enduring, Mm -hmm. it's ennobling, it's enduring, and you're willing to sacrifice and go through the obstacles to get it. And that might be one, uh, one criteria. You know, another thing that we did, uh, Amy, along these lines is we established our mission and vision statements. Yes. So I think that's a very important practical advice for anyone in the audience is we established immediately what is our mission? What's our vision? What is the end goal that we want? How are we going to accomplish it? And it, I think, uh, inspired us. I mean, when you know that you have that, if you don't really have that in front of you, you can lose steam. You can wonder why it is you're doing what you're doing. And maybe the obstacles are the Lord's sign that we shouldn't be doing it. Isn't that always the question? Like, is an obstacle a positive challenge or is it the Lord telling me I shouldn't be doing it? Is it a test or is it, you know, the Lord saying, stop, don't go that way. Is it a, yeah, a test to make you stronger and fulfilling the mission or is it a, is it a baseball bat over the head telling you, you need to change directions. And that's always the challenge that we have. So you mentioned a good one, but I think in terms of practical advice for people, having a mission and a, and a vision allows you uh, to do that. And that it, it makes the transcendence we were talking about become a reality. That yes, it was it was a really great exercise, and I'm glad we spent a couple of weeks doing that. And I I would encourage anyone who is who's who's working out for themselves um, their own calling or their vocation, or perhaps it's uh, a job or or a business, to spend some time thinking about what is what is the mission, what's my why. Simon Sinek he, he has a, a yeah. book out there, start with why, and it's really it's important for any venture. And look at Joan's life. Look at St. Joan of Arc's life. She had a mission. Yes. I mean, she clearly received a mission. 
And I don't think we can stress enough that all the rest of us, you, you, uh, you and me, all of our audience, I think, I can't say for everyone in the audience, but I think most of us are just kind of normal people. And um, there aren't a lot of St. Joan of Arcs out there. But I think, though, that we miss the point if we compare ourselves to her in that way, if we learn from her, which is what, what did God do uh, in working with St. Joan was to give us sort of a, uh, an archetype. Uh, and, you know, I, you and I were talking at one point, you know, the, the real archetype is Jesus. So, you know, the archetype, like, you know, uh, if our listeners are familiar with Jordan Peterson, I know one time I heard him talk and he, you know, he references archetypes at times. And he, he mentioned, it's really that beyond which you can't push. Mm-hmm. Right. So Adam and Eve are an archetype of humanity. And the, so it's a point at which you get to and you can't push any any further. Well, with regard to us and even even the saints, there's always it ultimately always comes down to Jesus as the true archetype of what our humanity uh, should be. But the saints can often be extensions of that archetype so that for for me, Joan of Arc serves as a. Uh, archetype in terms of having a life of vision, what it means to have a life of vision, how it elevates and ennobles your soul. And at the same time, you have feet on the ground. You can't get any more feet on the ground than Joan of Arc did. She fought war in wars. She was imprisoned. She was betrayed. She, all the things that come with living right here where we are. And yet uh, we see where she got the, the strength to do that. So in that sense, I really look at her as an extension of the of the archetype of of Jesus that he gives to us when he wants us to learn a specific uh, yes. point to help us in our in our lives. Yes, if if the archetype is the universal, the universal form, right? Saint, then the saints' lives are particular instances of that, right. of that archetype right. playing out in the real world and what what a what a noble life could look like. You know, yeah, and that's you know people. <laughs> sometimes wonder and say, um, I mean, why, why don't we, why doesn't Jesus just talk to everyone individually? <laughs> and he does do that with a lot of, a lot of people. He does it with us at, at, at times, but what's the whole point of having sa- uh, saints in our lives is I think it's, I think it's a couple of things when, particularly when you look at the Catholic spirituality and, and doctrine and, magisterial teaching is the idea of the communion of the saints, which is really the idea of of a kingdom, right? So Jesus is the king of a kingdom that is, you know, will renew the, will renew the earth. So we're a kingdom of people. We're, we're a social group. We kind of belong to each other. And just as in any social relationship, we don't just have one relate. In fact, the relationships of all of us are better when we enhance our relationships with each other in, in the group. So, you know, a lot of times the Lord will give us these people to say, here's a, here's a sister, here's a friend in Christ. They have, I have given them characteristics. I have given them graces. They've performed well. They were just like the servant who performed well, enter, you, you know, you've done well, I'll give you more to do. Uh, and I want you to learn from them. And I have specific things that I want to tell you through them. Mm-hmm. 
And so they play a, they can play a very important role. You know, the Lord uh, in one of the parables and uh, forgive me if I kind of butcher some of these uh, quotations, but in the parable where he said, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant enter. Now you've been faithful in small things. I will now give you more. Well, that's the great benefit we get with the saints yeah. is that now they come in to where they do much more. St. Therese of Lisieux is a great example of that. Talk about being faithful in small things where she was not well known. She was just not in a con, you know, convent, but she was so faithful. Now look at what she does. Now look at the magnificent impact she has. So same thing with Joan, not that Joan's work was small, but it's all small in comparison to the ultimate work of the kingdom. So yeah. I think another benefit of our life, our friendship with the saints um, relates to the, the question I had asked, a reflective question about doubt and fear. And so when you, when you look at the lives of the saints and you see what they have overcome and you experience, you experience grace in your life as you come to know them, for me, it's, that's really helped to overcome fear. And it was, and it was specifically the fear that I was feeling on, on a, a military deployment many years ago when I discovered St. Joan, um, it was, it was that fear that I turned to her, um, to help, to help over, to help me overcome it. So I, I looked at her and her courage and the circumstances she faced which then kind of put my own circumstances into perspective, into better perspective. And I, and I could proceed with courage. Yeah. And for me, um, and I remember communicating a little bit with you when you were going through some of that and I didn't really know it in, in detail, but on a cursory level. And, you know, for, for me, it was kind of a similar thing. I think I might've mentioned last time, you know, when the financial crisis hit in, in 08 and I kind of like a lot of people, you know, tumbled around in that. But so there were definitely challenges and obstacles. It was, you know, going back into the chaos of life that I thought everything was squared away for me and I didn't have anything to worry about. And all of a sudden the rug was pulled out. And but at the same time, the Lord gave me um, this devotion to St. Joan. And it became so important to me that is like what whatever the obstacles are, I don't care. I need to. I need to discover what it is the Lord is presenting to me through this person, this figure of history, but also a saint. Mm -hmm. I need to know what that is. And you know, when you just get to where something's the most important thing in your life, it's like, whatever. So, and, and once you take risk, you know, you'll, you'll even get into risky situations or you'll just push forward because you go, this is the most important thing in my life. And so other than my vocational as a husband and a father, which are always the most important is living, you know, your vocation in life. But, you know, beyond the vocation given to me for those responsibilities, certainly this became the most important thing, you know, in, in my life. Well, what yeah. we've really been talking about, uh, skirting around uh, so far is about is about the saints as our mentors. And that's what, what we're going to talk about today. That's what today's episode is about. And in the in the hero's journey, this is called meeting the mentor. It's it's stage four, and what if you recall last week when we talked about the um, refusing or questioning that call to adventure, um, when with, oftentimes with heroes who feel unprepared for what they've been called to, what happens is that the hero meets a mentor who knows the extraordinary world because remember our hero has been in the ordinary world and now they're being called into this extraordinary world, and then the mentor is able to help equip the hero for the journey. 
So sometimes this help comes in the form of supernatural aid, such as the goddess Athena, who came to the aid of Odysseus' son, Telemachus, before he sets out on his journey to search for his missing father. And in fact, in this in this episode, in this story um, that comes to us from Homer, it's, it's the Odyssey, Athena appears in the guise of someone named Mentor, which was a friend of Odysseus. So Athena appears as this person whose name was Mentor and then is able to mentor Telemachus um, in, uh, as, he, as he embarks on this journey to find his missing father. So that's really, I think, where we get the name Mentor. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Maybe people don't know this. Um, so it's. I, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. So it's really with the mentor's help that the hero is able to respond to their call with courage or at least a, enough measure of confidence to get started. Well, yeah. I mean, we have to look to someone. That's always the way it is. We have to get that help from someone. It's so natural. We see it in every aspect we do. We go to class to learn from an instructor. We always are learning from someone who knows what it is that we're trying to know or the skill set we're trying to get and mentors for that purpose. And in the spiritual life, I think we're more familiar with the term discipleship, but they're, they're, I think they're close concepts. Well, yeah, they're definitely close concepts. I think the mentor might be a little bit more focused on the idea of allowing yourself to be formed by someone else, which I guess is still very similar to discipleship. Um, but that's really, I think, what mentorship is is about. That's that's what happened with me and St. Joan of Arc was it was far beyond a straightforward like devotion where I said, wow, she's really neat and I, I, I'm trying to accomplish things in my life and I'm going to ask her to help me. It was actually quite different from that. It was really more of saying, I, I would, I feel like the Lord wants me to follow her, mm-hmm. not to ask her to intercede, to accomplish what, all the stuff I want, but to follow her because she needs to be a mentor. So, you know, I kind of fell, fell flat, you know, as I came and I, I had lots of firm beliefs, I by the grace of God, I retain wonderful graces given to me, faith in the church, the Eucharist. I had those. But as I mentioned last time, I kind of had one foot in the secular world and one foot, you know, the Lord said, you know, lukewarm, spit you out of my mouth. And, and I ended up sort of face down in the dirt, so to speak. And what I felt the Lord saying was that, that, you know, your life, this may shock people, but I felt the Lord saying, your life is unacceptable to me. Now that, it, that doesn't go well with people because it, I mean, spirituality is supposed to be about warm and fuzzy and always feeling affirmed and everything. But we're talking about Jesus Christ and his love. And it was the greatest act of love that Jesus could have done. One of the proofs I had, it didn't feel like it at the time, but one of the proofs I had of his love was the fact that I was face down and the Lord was telling me, this is not acceptable, but let me show you what is. <laughs> and you, and so you get a mentor say, I want you to follow her. 
You know, this is what I felt in St. John. I want you to follow her because if you follow her, this is my will for you, is that you would follow her, that you would allow her to form your thinking, form your vision, form your transcendent view of life. You need to exercise your will to make it happen and you need to work. But let me give you a different vision to work toward than the one that you were working toward, which I find wholly unacceptable, you know? And so what, what greater act of love can there be than that? So Jesus loves us. He doesn't warm and fuzzy us uh, all, all the time. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Right. I would still be face down. Before St. Joan, or, yeah, before St. Joan could be your mentor, she, she benefited from mentorship and formation of a very heavenly sort. Do you want to tell us about her voices or angels? Well, she, she walked out into, as she said, she walked out into her father's garden, which was next to the church. And there was a very bright light coming from the direction of the church. And uh, there was St. Michael, the archangel. Now she didn't, you know, if you look uh, sort of outside the text of Mark Twain and just sort of look at some of the historical things. She, we talked last time about the fact that she never resisted the call. She ran into lots of obstacles and challenges. That doesn't mean that she wasn't confu- uh, confused or filled with fear. I mean, the same way that the Blessed Virgin never resisted her call, but, but she had those moments. There, there was that moment of, of uh, how does the Bible say it? Um, where she it it confounded her in a certain way so she never resisted the call but there's there was that there's this adjustment she certainly had to make sense of what was happening to her yeah yeah as, as pope benedict XVI said so i want to say that correctly because of the holiness of our the blessed virgin so i don't know if i'm saying that exactly right but there's the uh she pondered these things in her heart she had to had to think them through maybe that's the best way to put it and joan had to do the same thing so she does say later on in her testimony that we'll you know get to toward the end but she does reflect back that uh she she wasn't sure in the beginning so according to her as i'm reading from uh, regine pronoud she was not entirely sure there was some fear but she very quickly came to understand as she continued to have these visitations, she very quickly came to understand that this was St. Michael and that, you know, this, this was a heavenly source. And, and for our listeners who may not be familiar, I, I think many people, of course, are familiar with St. Michael the Archangel, but really his role um, as an archangel, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very elevated role. Uh, and he has four tasks. The first is to combat Satan. Uh, the second is to help escort the faithful to heaven at their hour of death. The third is to be a champion of all Christians in the church itself. And the fourth is to call men from life on earth to their heavenly judgment. So he's, he's a leader of, of the angels, um, that you know, of our guardian angels. And so it's, it really shows, I think the importance of St. Joan's calling, um, interestingly in recent days, uh, at the, you know, the time that we're recording this, uh, the, the, the war in Ukraine is going on and there's the, uh, the church of St. Michael, the archangel there. And I, I believe it's Kiev, uh, which has been, uh, featured in, in the news, a beautiful church that was rebuilt in 1991, 
Um, and just I, that city is dedicated to St. Michael the Archangel. And mm-hmm. he's often invoked um, in, by, in prayer by the faithful. Um, certainly in my church, we always pray the St. Michael the Archangel prayer after Mass. Yeah. It's, well, he's, he certainly is a, an appropriate mentor for the, the challenge that, that was out there. And but there there are there are a couple of others. Now there's there's interesting commentary because we don't have the details of Joan's everyday life and the conversations she had with her, what she calls her voices. Mm-hmm. Because she kept that private. She, 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 kept, yeah, she, yeah. she kept that private. Um but there were a couple of others. Now there we don't know, and I think there's some indications that at times she might have, you know, there might have been a, a greater host uh, at the time. But the the three that were the key mentors were St. Michael, St. Catherine of Alexandria, and St. Margaret of Antioch. And both of those were, you know, martyred in the early 4th fourth, uh, century, late 3rd century. Roman martyrs. Right. And... You know, people have uh, talked a lot about why why St. Margaret of Antioch and St. Catherine of Siena. Alexandria. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Alexandria, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Easy to get confused on it. But, uh, and so that's all a matter of uh, probably more speculation than anything else. All we know is that that's who it was. But when you look at the lives of those saints, uh, it's very appropriate. St. Catherine was put before a tribunal of, 50 pagan philosophers to challenge her. And she just took them down one by one defending the Christian faith, which is similar to what Joan is going to have to do in our story. And, um, and, and St. Margaret is also, uh, you know, known as a very powerful intercessor to work many miracles. So only the Lord knows why exactly that cohort was given to her, but that's who it was. I think those two women, female saints were also renowned for their purity, which is, which is a virtue that St. Joan had. Uh, I think it's probably the foundational uh, virtue. You know, we haven't really, we haven't really talked about it. I think you just raised it. And I think it's incredibly important that Purity is fundamental to receiving the gifts and and the the ability to see what the mentor is trying to tell you. Now, when I when I say that, let's be very careful. None of us, I don't know about you all, I certainly can't vow to have, you know, do uh, I am a sinner like everybody else? We're all struggling. So purity broadly understood really is this clarity of vision, right? So there's, there's virginal purity, which uh, she certainly had, many of them had, but I I look at purity as being something that uh, reflects uh, clarity of vision. So uh, pure water is water that you can see into. You can see right through it. You can see right through it. And so purity is a gift that we can only get from the Lord. So that was one of the issues that, that I had was I had such a, a cloudy vision before and I couldn't see. So 
one of the gifts that St. Joan came through her life was a certain sense of purity that didn't come from me, but through the purity of her life allowed me to see more clearly. Because if you can't see with, with clarity, you're not really sure what is the mentor trying to tell me. So what did that purity mean? How did I discover that purity was I began to look at her life, her story, and to try to understand what was meaningful. I tried to say, what do you see? What did she see? What was her vision? Because she had a clear, she was, she was pure as St. Margaret and St. Catherine were. And so that allowed her to see. Now, remember, St. Joan was a very wonderful young lady. She went to church, confession. She was well disposed to receive this um, plan from the mentor. She was well disposed. Doesn't mean she was perfect. Doesn't mean, you know, we're all just, but she was well disposed. She was in a state of grace. And that gave her the ability then to see. So this, this idea of, of, of purity, I think is foundational to understanding the life of Joan and how she can help uh, her friendship, mentorship can help the audience is not that we are so pure, but that her life is a reflection of purity. And if we allow ourselves to be formed in her life, you know, to, to follow that, that we too can begin to see what she saw in those clear waters. So I think you raise a tremendously important point that relates to those saints, her mentors. Can you tell us how our, how our growing understanding of our mentors helps us to become more like them? How does that process work? Well, in, in my case, it happened through a form of a dialectic, I would say, to a certain degree, is I would look at St. Joan's life. I would try to understand what her, what I call the field of meaning. All, all of us, when we just in our minds and we look out in the world, we all have sort of a field of meaning. The philosophers call it a nomadic field of meaning meaning that there are certain things that stick up that are meaningful. There's a lot of irrelevance in our lives. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff that's just not relevant, but it's all there anyway. But we have these moments, if we look on that, that horizon of our vision, that have meaning. And I, and I wanted to try to understand, when Joan looked at the world, what did she see? When Joan looked at the world, what was meaningful to her? And what was irrelevant to her? And I found that very interesting because it was oftentimes very different from what I had had found. So I wanted to know what was relevant to her, what, what was meaningful, what was not relevant. But then it became sort of a dialectic where what I discovered was that she saw a world or our world differently than I did. <laughs> go, go figure. And she had what was meaningful for her was oftentimes not what was meaningful for me and and what was irrelevant to her was oftentimes the most meaningful thing to me and can you give an example of what you're talking about well i i think <coughs> the probably the the biggest was i think in the way that i viewed 
um, you know, myself interacting in uh, the world um, and even looking, uh, not to get, I don't want to get into politics, but even the way I looked at the world uh, politically, one of the things that um, I was challenged by was that Joan was concerned with the will of God. And I sort of was always obsessed with the will of the people and, and my will, right? Which is good. We have to we have to do that and we have to express our will. But there was some tension there between, well, should we just be allowed to do whatever we want? So should we do whatever we want? And that's what God wants. God will approve anything we want because that's what we want. Or should we? Majority rules. God's will is the majority rules. Majority. And, you know, if we say we're going to do something, God's going to stamp his approval because we decided we're going to do it. Or should we be oriented ourselves toward what God wants? And there was a, one of the poems or prose that I wrote was in the in the area of Joan showing me God's point of view. So I think in terms of coming slightly back up to a little bit more abstract um, was the, the idea that uh, Joan was showing me or, or telling me, let's look at God's point of view rather than just your point of view. Well, that's an interesting question. How do you know what God's point of view is? Well, interestingly, and when I wrote the prose, and it was a meditative process of writing the prose, interestingly, what I felt and is reflected in the prose that Joan did was draw me back to the opening words of the Bible and the opening words of, of Genesis. And I, re I read the opening few chapters of Genesis completely differently after I encountered Joan, because so it's like, how do you know what God's point of view is? Why don't we go to the Bible <laughs> and why don't we look at the opening words that say in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it really struck me that what does that, what does that mean? And it, it, it really opened to it and how God brought formed the earth out of the void. So out of the, the, the chaos and the darkness, God formed. So I started getting this impression that maybe the Bible was telling me that God is the person that we look to for reality and for the approach, rather than me making up my own world in my head, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like I'll create my own reality in my head. Well, I'll probably create something. I will create something in my head. Reality, it will not be, <laughs> but it'll be something in my head. Well, how do I know what reality is? Well, it needs to match what God's point of view is. So I know that sounds a little bit abstract, um, and it's and it's hard to describe. But that's an that's an example where Joan began to challenge me because I saw how she thought. And then I saw how I thought. So there was this dialectic process. And, and so eventually I found myself because I was so enamored with her life and I felt so drawn that it began reforming me. And lo and behold, my life, you know, that dome of oppression was lifted. Um, and as we said in the beginning, it doesn't mean I 
flew out of the dome on wings into a magical world of unicorns. Don't mean that at all. It's trudging through, it's trudging through two years of COVID, trying to deal with a new war that's going on. I tried having a heart sur- open heart surgery and trying to, you know, keep my um, uh, occupation activities going. It's just down and dirty, you know, stuff in the world, but it's living, it's living it now in a way that feels congruent with what God wants me to do, not at odds with what God wants me to do. There's a sense of integrity despite the, the challenges. And so there was, that's what I mean by removing the dome of oppression is you're trudging through the mud, but you, you have a sense of integrity, a sense of wholeness that you're, 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 you're in sync. <laughs> and, and when we, when we begin to cross the threshold from that ordinary world to that extraordinary world, which we will talk about next week, that's the next part of the hero's journey or the heroic heart's journey. We do sense that that dome of oppression begins to lift because that dome of oppression just parks itself over our ordinary world. And so that's yeah, and- the first sign is once we start to cross over, that starts to lift, it abates, it, it, it dissolves. That that's an excellent point. I mean, that's exactly it's exactly right. And I just am, I'm so happy you brought up that because you had talked and we we were reflecting on the fact that you know enchantment is not some sort of fairy tale escapism. And so, following up on what you just said, and then it's a little bit re- reiterating what I said earlier. We're going. We're I think we're going to see the dome of oppression lifting. At the same time, we're going to go to war, and we're we're going to go into the we're going to be crossing enemy territory pretty soon. We're going to be um, we're going to the person that we're supposed to save, and they're going to try to deceive us. Well, that sounds like real life. <laughs> and then we're going to be not believed, and we're going to be tested, and then we're going to have to go to war, and then we're going to be betrayed. There, so we're not going, there's no uh, unicorns in, no. in this land, no. no unicorns at all. It's all real life. Which there I think are we're... dragons, however, and <laughs> we will face some of them, particularly the dragon of our own pride. Oh, but... definitely. definitely. <laughs> and so just as a little, as a little teaser, a little foretaste of, of what's to come, I've got this one quote from Mark Twain from our, our reading this week. And this is a quote from St. Joan. God has chosen the meanest of his creatures for this work and by his command and in his protection and by his strength, not mine, I am to lead his armies and win back France and set the crown upon the head of his servant that is Dauphin and shall be king. So that's Joan's mission straight from her mentors. Well, and so the audience can know she's going to accomplish that. So um, that's going to be exciting but there's a twist to the end (laughs) there's a twist at the end and we'll get to that so some of you probably know what it is but we won't give any spoilers too quickly well right now let's get to our reflective questions walter what do you have for us oh well here's you know here's what went through my mind you know what calls have you felt you received in in life what was their impact on your life and and did they elevate did they elevate your sense of positive being so I'm asking the audience have you have you felt these calls have you responded to them and um, at least the second question i have which is how do you discern a call by what criteria 
So when you feel these inspirations and these calls from on high, from the Lord, from heaven, um, how are you, how do you, how do we discern by what criteria do we uh, discern the validity and authenticity of them? And what are the, what have been the fruits of those? So that's, that's, I think that's, yeah, that's probably good. a journaling question more than it is a quick, quick answer. Good. So what so, do you have for us? Well, my two questions. My first question is describe a time that a mentor prepared you for a coming challenge. How did this person share their wisdom, their hope and their vision with you? You know, how did they prepare you for that challenge? Second question, are you in a position to mentor others? What can you share of your life experiences that will help someone through their own difficulties? Wow, what what a great question. Because we can often we can often feel and, and we are to a certain degree lost. But you really got me thinking with that question because we forget that the Lord expects us to also reach out and help other people as as we go. And it's kind of a false humility to act like I'm no good. I can't do that. Um, that's really kind of a false humility because, of, co- of course, we're sinners and we're no good at any of that. But the Lord expects us to do it. Well, we're, wherever we're at on the journey, there's always, you know, there's always going to be people ahead of you, but there's always going to be people behind you. And I just think we, we're, we're put in that place at that time to you know, benefit from those who are leading us and to help those who are um, who are coming in behind us. And that's that's the whole. Well, it points to life. taking responsibility for your life, yeah. which is something that I have I've come to value more and more over the past decade or so is being more responsible for what I say, being more responsible for what I do, because I'm not always the one just following Believe it or not, there are people that I influence. And I mean, whether have, you're a parent, a, mm-hmm. a, a teacher, you know, just an employee, a supervisor, mm-hmm. there's, we all have these opportunities in our life. Exactly. Well, this has been fun. And um, I'm always inspired when we talk about St. Joan of Arc's impact on our life and great discussion around the, the mentors, because I think the audience needs to you know, make sure that they kind of grapple with that, you know, what really induced this young child to go out and do what she did. And uh, so I think uh, that will help going forward. All right. Well, that is it for this week. And Walter, thanks again for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us. And we we are um, so grateful to our listeners for joining us. I hope so, and continue to uh, journey with us and journal with us, and we'll we'll see you next time. Yep, and uh, so for next week, we're getting into book two, uh, and I believe it's chapters one through five. Let me check really quick, uh, but we will post it in our show notes, and um, again, even if you haven't had the opportunity to read all the way through, please do join us for the conversation um, yep. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. That sounds great. Look forward to it, Amy. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. So we'll sign off for now, but stick around for Amy reading our closing poem. Thanks for listening. 
If you want to discover enchantment and adventure with St. Joan and St. Therese, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us at heroic-hearts.com. The Bright Field by R.S. Thomas I have seen the sun break through to illuminate a small field for a while and gone my way and forgotten it. But that was the pearl of great price, the one field that had treasure in it. I realize now that I must give all that I have to possess it. Life is not hurrying on to a receding future, nor hankering after an imagined past. It is the turning aside, like Moses, to the miracle of the lit bush, to a brightness that seemed as transitory as your youth once, but is the eternity that awaits you.